and open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now uh, to help you out with that. Just holler at them or uh, raise your hand. Things will make a lot more sense uh, if you're able to follow along in God's Word. John uh, chapter 11. Uh, the Gospel of John is a little bit like, uh, like a cricket match. The World Cup is on uh, right now. You see a lot of uh, TVs on, uh, focused in on the games that are taking place. And in a cricket match, there's, there's just two parts. You know, we're accustomed to baseball where there's nine innings, where one team bats, then the other team bats, then one team, then the other team. But in cricket, it's, it's just one inning. And so the one, all the batsmen go through, and then, and then the other team gets a chance to have all of their batsmen uh, go through as well. There's a, there's a part one and a part two. The Gospel of John has a part one and a part two. Uh, chapters one through 11 is part one. And this is where Jesus is performing a number of miracles. Part one is called the, the Book of Signs. And Jesus performs these six unbelievable miracles. Water into wine, feeding thousands of people, healing a, a, an official son remotely. He, he performs a number of these signs. That's what part one is about in chapters one to 11. Uh, part two is about the ultimate sign. All of these signs were just to draw people's attention and to, and to help them understand who Jesus is so they'd understand the significance of the final sign, which is Christ's resurrection. It's interesting, the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John, they cover, you know, a fair bit of geography. Jesus is going from Samaria to Galilee, into Judea, and into Jerusalem, and it, it covers a, a fair bit of time, two and a half, three years out of Jesus' life. That's, that's part one. Part two is just a couple of days in Jesus' life, just about a week. And all in one location. And so, and so we have this, this contrast. And, and the amazing thing is, I mean, we all kind of know what happens at the end of part two. Uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. Part two ends with a resurrection. But the interesting thing is that part one also ends with a resurrection. And we're going to look at that today. John chapter 11. I'm going to begin by reading the first uh, 16 verses. And then we'll uh, continue on throughout uh, the 44 verses that we have in front of us today. It says, John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, A Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. For it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you, are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was taught that he he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. There's three things that I want us to understand about Jesus that we can take from this story. This, we learn these three things really from the whole Gospel of John, part one and part two. But as we come to the end of part one and get ready to take a break for the summer before diving into part two in the fall. I, I want to highlight three things about Jesus. And if you're here visiting today because your friend or your family member is being a baptized, I want you to hear these things about Jesus as well. The first one is this, is, is the timing of Jesus. The, the timing of Jesus and that he has a plan. We, we, we need to acknowledge right from the outset how strange verse 5 and verse 6 are. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer. We just got to acknowledge how confusing that is. We got to acknowledge that when we're talking about God, when we're talking about following Jesus Christ as a Christian, we just got to call it out that sometimes we're confused by his timing. How does verse 6 make any sense in light of what was just said about him in verse 5? And some of us right now, we are living in the space between verse 5 and verse 6. You believe God loves you. You believe Jesus loves you. You have asked him to do something. And it seems like something that he can do, has done in the past. He's healed people before. He's healed complete strangers before. Jesus, this is your friend. This is Lazarus. You're, you've asked him. You believe he loves you. And yet he's delaying. And there's, there's no way around it. You're, there, there could be a, a sickness that you want to see healed. There could be a suffering that you want to be alleviated. There could be a, a crushing burden that you're longing to see lifted. There could be a, a broken relationship that you want to see restored. Whatever it may be, many of us have been in that place between verse 5 and verse 6. And the only explanation that we have is in verse 4, what he said earlier. He said, this illness will not lead to death. So he, he, he already declares there will be a happy ending to this story. But he says, it is for the glory of God. If we find ourselves in between verse 5 and verse 6 in our lives, waiting on God and wondering or even beginning to question, does he actually love me? Does he actually care? Why is he delaying? The answer is that the reason, the purpose for the delay is that it is for the glory of God. Is that sometimes before God turns on the light, he lets it get very, very dark. That sometimes rather than healing someone who is living, he chooses to raise someone who is dead. I'm going to do my best to uh, preach John chapter 11 today. Uh, the best sermon I've ever heard on John 11, and might be the best sermon I've ever heard, period, is by a, a pastor named uh, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. And um, if you're not happy with what you hear here, you can just Google him. Uh, this is what he had to say. He said, Speaking about God's timing, the word crisis and the word emergency are not in God's vocabulary. Here he is, waiting two days before he goes anywhere. 
This Jesus is one who oftentimes redeems by restraining and delivers by delaying. It would have been amazing if Mary and Martha could one day praise God and celebrate that Lazarus had been healed. But it's a whole other story if they're able to give testimony that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. That is the glory of God. And his timing so often is mysterious. After the couple of days go by in verse 7, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? They're like, let's, let's think about this, okay? In John chapter, John chapter 8, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to try to kill him. Andrew last week was teaching through the end of John chapter 10 and Jesus said, I and the Father are one and they picked up stones again to kill him. So his disciples are like, we're just glad we got out of there. We're wanted men. We're fugitives. We're not going to go waltzing back into Judea. Jesus said in verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus used the same metaphor in John 9 to talk about his his perfect timing here on earth. All throughout the gospel of John, people try to arrest him, but it says his hour had not come. His mother wants him to perform a miracle, but he said his hour had not come. All this talking about time. And Jesus used the analogy of metaphor for his ministry of healing and teaching and shepherding. That's the daytime. And then his crucifixion on the cross, he uses that as, as that's, a, that's metaphorically described as night. And the great news is that there's day and then there's night. It didn't end with the night. There was another day. He, he rose again. So the metaphor really fit. So he's telling them, listen, I'm working on a timeline. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified on Passover. All of the symbolism about the lamb. His cousin, John the Baptist, said, behold the lamb of God. Jesus was going to be the sacrificial Passover lamb when he suffered and died on the cross as to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus, it wasn't going to happen during the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Booths. It was, it was going to happen right, right at the end of the 12-hour period of the day. It was going to happen like clockwork. And Jesus said, we still got plenty of daylight left. Besides, he used the phrase light of the world, which he already said about himself. Besides, you're with me, guys. I'm the light of the world. And so if I say we're going to go to Judea, we're going to be okay when we go to Judea. After saying these things in verse 11, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. A sleep was, a again, it was an, an analogy, a metaphor that was used to describe death, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. That death was described as sleeping. But his disciples took him literally when he said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, we go to awaken him. His disciples, you can tell they really don't want to go to uh, Jerusalem. They say in verse 12, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. If he's sick, sleep is the best thing for him, right? Get some fluids, get some sleep, he'll be okay. Jesus, you don't need to go all the way there. Risk your life just to wake someone up. It's not worth it. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
think about what Jesus said. He said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to awaken him. And then he makes it clear that when he said asleep, he meant he's dead. But what did he mean when he said awaken? Have you ever had someone beside you fall asleep in church? Never you, right? Never. It was never you. But, you know, at first they're kind of, they seem like they're really tracking with the sermon because they're nodding. Right? And then all of a sudden that nod just either rests down here or up here. Now, how much effort does it take for you? I guess it depends on the person, but how much effort does it take to wake someone up from, from sleep in church? Not hard, right? A little nudge in the elbow, into the ribs, and it's done. So what is Jesus saying here? For him to raise someone from the dead is not a hard thing to do. It's a little nudge of the elbow. Well, Lazarus is dead, but I'm just going to wake him up just the same way, just the same way you'd wake up your son or daughter to get ready to go to school. It's not hard for me. He told him in verse 15, I, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Believe is the most important word in the Gospel of John. Almost a hundred times it's mentioned. It's the reason why Jesus did everything. It's the reason why John wrote this book. So that we would believe. More about that later. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now some people think, you know, Thomas is being really brave here. He's known at the end of the second half to be sort of doubtful. But here he is at the end of the first half. And who is the him that he says we'll die with? Some people read this as being, he's being triumphant. We'll go and we'll die for Jesus. Just kind of like Peter said, I'll die for you. But the him could very much be Lazarus. This is kind of classic Thomas as far as I'm concerned. Well, Lazarus is already dead. Jesus is sending us on a suicide mission. Let's go. Lazarus is dead. We'll go be dead too. It's not, it's not this, this hopeful, courageous statement. It's classic Thomas. Jesus' timing. He waited two days. Now they're journeying to Jerusalem. Or sorry, to Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus wasn't surprised by that. Remember, no messenger came and said that Lazarus had died. Jesus knew in his omniscience that Lazarus had died. The messengers just said he was sick. But Jesus told his disciples emphatically, no, he's dead now. Now it's time for us to go. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Many of the Jews. Remember when John uses the term Jews, he's not talking about Jewish people in general. That's this short form for the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. The ones who were picking up the stones to try to murder Jesus. They're at the funeral. So Jesus wisely kind of keeps his... His distance. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. If you know anything about Martha and Mary, that's kind of classic. There's another story where Martha's running around, you know, baking the casserole and sweeping up the floor and setting the table. And, and Mary's just sitting there at Jesus' feet and Martha complains, like, I'm doing all the work. Martha was, was type A. By the way, does anyone know what type B is? 
Everyone knows what type A is. One time, Lindsay and I uh, got to do premarital counseling with this dear, dear couple, and the and the the the. The fiance, she's now the wife, described herself as type A, and she's so type A, she even knew what type B meant. Uh, she, she, went and did the, she went and did the research. So, so Martha, who's type A, she goes out to, uh, to Jesus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out and followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? As important as it is for us to understand the timing of Jesus, this story powerfully tells us about the tears of Jesus. And that he enters into our pain. He doesn't stand aloof outside of our pain. He comes right into it. Some of you are here today and you think that followers of Jesus Christ, they just sort of trust in God and believe in God and, that it, and, and they're just always at peace because God finds a way to work everything out just the way we expected it. Listen, if that's what you think the Christian life is like, it's not like that. And if you're here today and you are a Christian and you've never had a time in your life where you are legitimately disappointed with Jesus. Because you prayed that he would do something and he didn't answer. If that's never happened, chances are you've never really prayed for anything. But Martha is really instructive, isn't she here? Her experience of disappointment isn't hidden. She tells Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. But notice that her disappointment does not cause her to run away from Jesus. It causes her to run right to him. And there are times, there are times that in God's timing, we want something to happen and it doesn't happen. And that is not the time to shut ourselves off from God as if we could somehow run away from him. 
but that we would run to him and openly and honestly. There's no platitudes here. There's no churchy sounding language. She's telling Jesus how she feels. The Psalms say, pour out your heart before him. And so she does. And Jesus comforts her. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And again, Martha assumes that Jesus is just speaking in terms of abstract theological terms and, and what Jewish people believe. Because she says in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This idea of a resurrection at the end of the world, this isn't just like a New Testament Christian concept. It was it warped into Old Testament Judaism. In, in uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's the, that's the sleeping, waking up metaphor for death. But then it says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Martha knew her Bible. She knew Daniel chapter 12. She, she knew what God's word said, that, that death is not the final death, that there's a life after this life and a death after this life. Either everlasting life or everlasting shame and contempt. But then Jesus brings it right down to earth. Verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not some future event. It's not some theological doctrine or concept that we believe. Jesus says, look right here, look at me. It's me. I'm the one that's going to make Daniel 12 happen. I'm going to be the one that, that based on whether or not people believe in me will either experience everlasting life or will experience everlasting shame and contempt. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes, there's that word again, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus says that if you place your faith in him, if you believe that he took the punishment for all of our sin on the cross, if you believe that he is the son of God, God in flesh, that he has made a way for you to receive the gift of eternal life. Though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me, it says, shall never die. There's, there is a physical death, yes, but there is a, there is a spiritual death. They shall never die. And then he asks her the question, the most important question, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She does believe. And she gives this incredibly succinct statement of faith, doesn't she? That you are the Christ and that you are the Son of God. It's amazing. John chapter 1 through 11, part 1, ends with this declaration. You've got Martha making this statement, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And so she makes that statement right at the, right at the end of, of part 1. And then at the end of part 2, it's the same the same statement is being made by the gospel uh, writer in John 20. Can we get John 11 and John 20 on the screen? There we go. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then in John 20, 30 and 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You have a resurrection on both ends. You've got Thomas on both ends. You have these statements that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God at both ends. 
This is what John wants us to see and to understand as we come to the end of part one. Then he talks to Mary. Martha goes and gets Mary. Mary comes out to talk to Jesus. Look at verse 32. Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet saying the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. It says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There's a footnote beside that, that phrase, deeply moved. In my Bible, you probably have one there, and it says indignant. It means angry. The translators kind of soften it out because we're not always comfortable with the idea of Jesus being, being angry or upset. But it's the word used to describe, you know, an ox or a horse snorting out its nostrils when it's agitated. Jesus looked around at the scandal of death. He looked at what sin had done to his perfect creation. He looked, at, he looked at these people who he loved, Mary and Martha, weeping. He even looked at the hard-hearted Pharisees and how they themselves were weeping. That term Jews, remember, it's not just speaking of Jews in general. These, these are the religious leaders. And Jesus is angered by what sin has done to his world. He's deeply moved. He's greatly troubled. He asked where Lazarus is buried. He goes to see it. And then John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. If you've never memorized a verse in God's word yet, you just did. John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. I'll give you a little Awana jewel for your crown on the way out. Jesus wept. Now some would teach that in weeping, we're, we're given a picture into Jesus' humanity. That uh, this emotional moment of weakness is, is just Jesus showing that, yeah, he's only human. That couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. The God that we serve isn't, isn't unemotional. Um, emotions aren't bad and and. Emotions can be used to do some bad things and, and can produce some bad things in us, but emotions on, the, on, the, on their own are not evil. I mean, you see, cover to cover, we see God expressing emotion. This is, this is one of the most divine moments, Jesus weeping. You see, here's the incredible thing about Jesus. He already said, this illness will not lead to death. He already, he already predicted that in the end, Lazarus is going to be alive. He already said, he's sleeping, but I go to awaken. He's already made it clear that he's going to raise this guy from the dead. And yet, he enters right into their moment. And he weeps with them. Even though he knows the beginning from the end, he knows the whole story. We assume that because we know the beginning from the end, that that somehow means that God can't be emotionally involved in the moment. Yes, he's omniscient, but he's also omnipresent. And everywhere that he is, he's fully there. And he enters into our pain. And so listen, we need to be careful that we live our lives the way Jesus lived our lives. That when we're at the breakfast table with our family, that we're actually there. 
that we're not thinking about what we're going to do the rest of the day and where we need to go and the emails that need to get sent and, and that we're actually there. We're looking people in the eye. We're soaking in the moment. That, that when we're out in the foyer, we're actually there. We're not thinking about Swiss Chalet. We're not thinking about what's coming up afterwards. We're actually there. And when we're mourning, we know the end from the beginning because God has told us, right? We know Romans 8.28, God will bring it, all to, bring it all together for good. But that doesn't mean we should share it with the person that's grieving. We can share it with them at some point, but that shouldn't be the first. We just tritely tell them, everything's going to be fine. God's in control. He's sovereign. No, we enter into people. We enter into their pain. We enter into their sorrow and their grieving just like Jesus did, just like God does. Be there in the moment. But here's the amazing thing. The same Jesus who enters our pain will end our pain. The one who wept will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes in Revelation 21. So we've learned about the timing of Jesus, the tears of Jesus, lastly the triumph of Jesus. The triumph of Jesus that he demonstrates his power. Then Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved, again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, I love that phrase. <laughs> John's always trying to create these different phrases to describe people's situation. The, the sister of the dead man, the man who had formerly been blind. How, what, there's no words to describe this. But classic Martha, oh wait, 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 before you roll away the stone, Jesus, let me just manage your life for you. Let me, let me just control this miraculous situation. She says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I, I love how the King James translates this. <laughs> Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Can we all agree that if Jesus can handle the dead part, he can handle the smell part, right? If he liveth, then he will not stinketh. Verse 40, he said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, there's that word, believe, you will see the glory of God. Remember, that's the whole purpose. Jesus said that's, that's why he's delaying. It's all for the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So remember, remember, the Jewish religious leaders are present. Jesus prays this prayer. It's a legitimate prayer. But he also knows that the people who are trying to kill him are about to witness this. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. Thanks, Bethany. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go the 
This is the halfway point of the Gospel of John. These very same people who witnessed Lazarus' resurrection are going to try to put Jesus to death. You know what? You keep reading. They're going to try to put Lazarus to death too. The fundamental question that's all over this chapter is that word believe. Jesus asked the question in verse 25, do you believe? Do you believe? Are you looking for more evidence? If you saw Jesus raise the dead... Would that mean for sure you'd believe in him? Well, listen, it didn't work for the Pharisees, okay? So don't think that evidence is holding you back from believing in Jesus. Because it didn't work for the Pharisees. Do you believe? There's plenty of evidence. Have you made a personal choice to follow Jesus Christ? Do you believe? Will you answer the way Martha answered, that he is the Christ, the Son of God? God, the one who made a way for us to rebuild the relationship with God that was broken. Do you believe this? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this incredible story of resurrection and new life. Lord, I pray that you would be with us right now in this moment. Lord, as we get ready to hear testimonies of people who have experienced a resurrection in themselves, who have said, like Martha, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And have experienced, just like Lazarus' name was called out of the tomb, they have heard your voice calling them to you, Lord. I pray that there would not be one person in this room, God, who does not place their faith in you. Who does not say, yes, I believe. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John has a part one and then it has a part two. But you know what? There's also a part three. Part one has Lazarus' resurrection. Part two has Jesus' resurrection. And part three is resurrection of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's our resurrection. It's our participation in the glory of God, the plan of God, the time of God, the tears of God, and the triumph of God. And that's what this is all about. And so right now what's going to be taking place is people are going to go underwater. It's a sign of burial, just like Lazarus. Out of the water, newness of life. All happening in, in, the, in water which symbolizes cleansing. The body doesn't stinketh. And, and so the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory, there's that word, glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so listen, this is, this is part three. It's a trilogy. And when we're in the third part. And so this is an opportunity to celebrate and to cheer. And so we're so thankful for what God has been doing in the lives of these people who are about to get baptized. And so when they come down those steps, we cheer. And when they share their testimony, we cheer. And when they come out of the water, we go crazy. Because this is part three. We share in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's do it. <laughs>